You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. If we've not had the opportunity to meet before, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my real joy just to open God's Word with you this morning, and we are in uh, Judges 17. Uh, now, let me give you a little, we need, I need to make a little announcement before we jump into this passage today. So, we're in the last two stories uh, of the book of Judges, so we're finishing up the story from last week. And then next week's the last story. It's three chapters next week. We won't read them all, but I'll refer. I'll, I'll do, do the read some, summarize some. Uh, but next week's passage is uh, dark, and it involves uh, rape and dismemberment. So if you normally keep your children with you in the service, they need to go to Grace Kids next week because it will not be age appropriate for them. I understand sixth graders are in the room, so I will be no more explicit than the text next week, but God's word is explicit enough on this one. And so uh, just, just to give you a heads up on how the book ends, it ends the darkest story of all, but we will end looking at Christ uh, in it all. So we won't end dark because we are in the light, but we will certainly uh, not try to uh, sort of hide this part of God's word. So that's just a message if you have kids in the service for next week. Well, today we're going to finish what we started last week, and uh, I'm going to talk about DIY religion again, because it was really the same story. It's just the continuation and the spread. We're going to see how DIY spreads constantly. There is always a new variant of DIY that is spreading as well. So we're going to see that in this passage. So here's what happened last week um, is that uh, this guy named Micah stole some money from his mom and then he gave it back to her. And when he gave it back to her, she dedicated it to Yahweh. She blessed him in the name of Yahweh. That's God's name, one of God's names. Uh, She blessed him in the name of Yahweh, and she said, I'm dedicating this money to the Lord, and so I want you to take it and go out to the silversmith and buy us a couple of carved and metal images and uh, for the worship of God. So what this guy does, Micah, is he sets up his own shrine. Shrine means house of God. So the house of God is in Shiloh at this point in Israel's history, which is the tabernacles in Shiloh, but he sets up his own. And he has idols in it. He makes his own ephod, which is something the priest used, part of the priest's breastplate uh, that was partially used uh, to discern the will of the Lord. Well, he's got one of those, so he knows what God's will is. And then he needs a priest, so he just ordains his own son. And so we saw the dangers of just having a view of God that we choose, that pleases us, that is our preference, and then to worship him corporately how we choose. That's what the story is about, his doing his own thing, his do-it-yourself worship. And we talked about how our culture has really done more and more uh, DIY in the last uh, year and a half home projects, do-it-yourself projects, uh, home schooling uh, at, at home. And we talked about how uh, 
oftentimes in the past year, we have slipped into do-it-yourself religion as well. And so the story of Micah, who worships a distorted version of God in his own personal shrine, reflects that. And the summary of Micah and the times of the book of Judges was found in verse 6 in chapter 17, where it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the theme. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. Now, as the story continues today, we're going to see the end of Micah. uh, And uh, this guy, uh, his apostasy, it spreads farther than he even could have imagined. And in the end, what we're going to see in the story today is that everyone is much worse off for their idolatry. No one prospers in do-it-yourself religion in the next two chapters that we're going to look at today. It always produces emptiness. The fruit, the yield of planting seeds of idolatry is emptiness. It creates hollow people and it provides a futile faith. That's what happens. A worthless faith is the result of idolatry, and we're going to see that today. So we're going to start uh, where we left off. We left off in verse 6, so we'll start in verse 7 and read the rest of chapter 17. Now, this is God's holy word to us. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, uh, to the house of Micah, our guy from last week. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as priest. We're going to see a couple of facets of do-it-yourself religion, and and do-it-yourself religion is frequently a superstitious faith. That's what's happening here. It's a superstitious faith. It's a story now of this Levite who's traveling. Uh, He's from Bethlehem, and he's traveling along. He's looking for a place to stay, and and lo and behold, he ends up at Micah's house uh, as a place to stay, and uh, Micah, once he finds out he's a Levite, on the spot issues him a, a job offer. Hey, I've got a job offer for you. I will pay you. I will give you room and board. I will clothe you. I mean, this is a deal. I will give you all of this, and all you have to do is basically be a priest to me and presumably his family. So you don't have to serve a lot of people, and you don't have to do a lot of stuff. All you got to do is what I want you to do. Be my priest, and I'm going to take care of you. And we see what Micah's motivation is. It is pure Uh, it's pure superstition. He says in verse 13, I know that the Lord will prosper me. I want prosperity, and God has to prosper me because now I have a Levite as a priest. Now, I guess he fires his son because now he's got a real guy. The Levites were those who assisted the priest. So he's kind of assisted the priest in the issue in the uh, areas of worship 
uh, in the tabernacle. And so he, he has this Levi who's not a full-blown priest. He's not from the house of Aaron, as the priests were. He's from the house of Levi. But he's, he's close. He's way closer than his son. Uh, so he gets rid of the son. Now I've got someone that's the real deal, so God must bless me, prosper me. Things must go well for me because I've got this lucky charm of a Levite with me. You see how Micah's faith, it's, it's mechanical, it's transactional, it's manipulative, it's manipulating God. I remember seeing a book title one time, a, a, a propo- uh, it proposed to be a Christian book, but it was entitled, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God, uh, at which I think could have been subtitled, How to Manipulate God. I mean, how to write your own ticket with God, how to get your way from God. That is the nature of idolatry. I want God or the gods to do something for me. So I will do something so that, in essence, they are in my debt to bless me. This is the pagan idea. I do this, God must do this. And we find this this even in our own own world today. Some of the ideas of, he says, I want to prosper. Some of the ideas of prosperity theology are just, I do this and, and God must do this. It has this sort of uh, idolatrous, magical, uh, transactional sort of nature to it where it's not purpose, where I do this and God does what he wants. God is sovereign after all. Uh, so God will do what pleases God and honors him and whatever is for my good. That's what God will do. But that's not necessarily always what I want God to do. This is idolatry that's masked with orthodoxy because, because he's got a Levite, it's sort, a Levite, it sort of looks legit, but it's still his sorry old do-it-yourself shrine. It has not changed. And what he's going to find is that he's not going to prosper because he's got a Levite. Uh, he's going to suffer. Uh, it's not going to bless him as he thinks. So the next chapter we get to is 18, and we're going to talk now about the tribe of Dan. Uh, the tribe of Dan, one of the 12 tribes of the Israelites, and this is what we see with the tribe of Dan, verse 1 of 18. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and Eshtael, to spy out the land and explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill of the country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He's hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtael, their brothers said to them, well, what do you report? 
They said, Arise, let us go up against them, for they have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. This passage here is really about a self-determined faith. Do-it-yourself religion is always self-determined. We write our own ticket with God. What happens here is the tribe of Dan is looking for land because uh, it said in the first verse, uh, those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Now, if, if you were here way back when, I don't expect anyone would remember this, but whenever we started the book of Judges, it was a long time ago, uh, in chapter 1, the first chapter is about how the tribes have come in to the land that God has given them, the promised land, and how some of them were faithful to battle and take the land that God had given them, and some weren't. Dan was one of the unfaithful tribes. Dan did not take the land that God had given them, They were pushed up into the hills by the Amorites. They didn't want to fight the Amorites. They felt, even though God was on their side, God gave it to them, they didn't want to to ultimately take the land that God had given them. So here we are in chapter 18. It's describing they are looking for land because no inheritance has fallen to them because they didn't take the land God gave them. That's, that's the key note here. They did not take what God had given them. They failed to seize his possession. And so they were stuck up in the hill country, evidently. They probably grew a bit, and they needed a place. And so they are now out looking for their own land. And they're going to wander into Laish, which is outside the promised land. So they're going to go outside of the land God has given them to find their own land. So Dan is a lot like Micah. They're just going to blaze their own pathway with God. High marks for creativity, for Micah and Dan. Creative, you know, innovative. They're, they're, they, they ran the Christian Innovation Conference where we're doing new stuff that's never been done before. The only problem was it just wasn't the stuff God had called them to do and in the case of the shrine had forbidden them from doing. So they send out spies just like happened before when they took the promised land. So this is all happening all over again. We're going to do our own promised land conquest so they send out their own spies and the spies make it to Micah's place and when the five spies come to Micah's place they meet the Levite and they say this is great because this Levite has an ephod and he can go in use the ephod and discern the will of the Lord what they want is God's blessing they want to know is God behind this And so just consider what's happening here. We have a disobedient tribe that did not take the land God gave them that's asking a rogue, independent, for-hire Levite at an idolatrous shrine if God is going to bless this do-it-yourself scouting trip. This This is what it's like in Judges. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes, and this just couldn't be more wrong. It's wrong at every level. They shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be on this journey. The Levite shouldn't be there. There shouldn't be a shrine. There shouldn't be an ephod. They shouldn't be asking as if God's going to give them the answer here. And, and the, the, his answer is very interesting. He says, go in peace. The priest does, verse 6, 
the journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Which sounds a little vague because biblically everything's under the eye of the Lord, but, but anyway, they're going to go. That's confirmation enough. All they need to hear is go in peace, God sees you, and then in verse 9 when they're asked, when they return after seeing, these guys are like sitting ducks. They go to Laish, they look at them, they're far from anybody, they're out in the middle of nowhere, they have no protection, it says they're unsuspecting, they're wealthy, they're total sitting ducks, so they see them and think, oh man, we can take them, and so when they're asked back home, how did it go, they say, uh, verse 10, as soon as you go, you'll come to the unsuspecting people, the land is spacious, for God has given it to our hands. They got a word from a priest saying that God's given it to their hands, and then they've got a visual that this is going to be easy. God has given it into our hands. It's God's will. It's God's doing. Now, God had called them way back to take another part of the land in the promised land, but they didn't do that. But now we've got a word from a priest. We've got a witness in our heart. We know in our knower. It's clear this is what we're going to do. In, in 30-plus years of pastoral ministry, I cannot tell you the number of times I've engaged with someone who's asking for a bit of counsel, which I'm happy to do, love to do, a bit of counsel as they're discerning God's will for their lives. And how many times someone shows up with a self-made plan that sometimes feel like maybe I'm being asked to bless and say God's will is upon this self-made plan. And what I've learned is once someone's confirmed in their own heart that they want to do something, they will find all kinds of signs to say that it's God. You'll find a fake priest in a shrine or any number of things. I remember years ago I was talking with a pastor in California, and he was called. He wanted to live in Hawaii, and uh, which wouldn't be an unusual desire. But So he was called to plant a church in Hawaii, which he may be. They need churches in Hawaii. But nonetheless, he was called, he said, to plant a church in Hawaii. And so a number of us were asking him about you know, how he knew that was the Lord's will, because he was saying, God's leading me. And, and, and when he said God's will, it was like, well, I've been thinking a lot about Hawaii and wanting to live there and plant a church there. And one day I was thinking about it, and I was driving on the road, and I saw Hawaii, a Hawaii license plate, which is kind of miraculous, I guess, right? Because how did they get the, I don't know how that worked. But anyway, <laughs> he's on the mainland in California. And then he said, you're not going to believe what happened after that. I'm saying, I don't know, a Hawaiian appeared and said, come to us and plant. I don't know what happened. My wife was at the gym, and she looked over, and somebody had a gym bag that said Hawaii on it. That's the will of the Lord. Thankfully, he didn't end up going and planting a church based on that, because if all you had was a license plate uh, and, and a gym bag and a desire to surf, that, those aren't what call, equates a calling to planting. That's kind of a light one because he didn't go do something God wasn't calling him to do. But I've had people on moral issues sit down and say, well, God's given me a sign. I, I'm going to divorce my spouse. Well, why? It, it, uh, did your spouse commit adultery? Is your spouse abusing you? Has your spouse abandoned you? No, none, none of that. I just think the Lord wants me to be at peace, and I can't be at peace married to this person anymore. And so God has just given me a peace or a sign. When God gave us the word, but in sometimes I, I, I just am convinced I need to do something different than the word, and I, and I have a sign. Dan is doing something different than the word, and God has given them a sign 
and given them an observation that this isn't easy one. We don't make decisions about the Lord's will when it's revealed in Scripture. Everything's not revealed in Scripture, I understand. But when, when, when it's revealed in Scripture, our feeling or a random sign doesn't trump Scripture. And that's the problem here. There are scriptural reasons where someone is free to divorce, but just I feel this or I think this or I saw that, that that's a very different scenario. You know, here's the other thing. In do-it-yourself religion, God will always call you to the easier path. It's interesting. Do-it-yourself religion, you always end up on the more pleasurable, easier path. I've never met anybody in do-it-yourself religion who got called to the harder path. It's always the easier path. This is easy. The people God wanted us to fight was very hard. The people we are going to fight are sitting ducks. It's amazing how that worked. We don't even have to trust God for this other opportunity. We can just take them. God has given it uh, to us, they say. Well, let's look what happens next. That is a sort of self-determined faith. We're going to do what we want to do. We got signs. We got, uh, we got ways to manipulate God. We've got a Levite now. Look what's next. Next, self-seeking faith. Now, I'm going to summarize verses 11 through 18 for you for the, for the sake of time. What happens is once they hear this 600 men of Dan uh, armed and ready for battle, set out to take Laish. They're going to go take them. And on their journey, they stop at Micah's house. Uh, And when they stop at Micah's house, the scouts tell them, oh, 600 warriors. By the way, let me just tell you, this is the guy that has the shrine and the ephod where, you know, we found out that God was going to bless our journey and all. Uh, This is the place. And the 600 armies say, really? Take it. So what happens is they start taking the idols, everything in the shrine, the ephod, and then the priest, the Levite, says, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? And then in verse 19, this is what, the, what happens. They said, verse 19, they said to the Levite, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. So now a better offer comes. A better offer comes to him. How, how self-seeking is this? On their journey, they stop. They engage with the priest as they're stealing all the stuff, all these sort of uh, toys from the shrine, all the stuff he's got. They're taking them all. And the priest is, says he's glad to go with them. Why? Well, what is the appeal of this? You could serve us as God has called you to. You know, the scripture, God has called us to worship him in this way. And so you could obey God by doing this. Oh, no, it's promotion. It is promotion to a bigger platform. This guy's paying you this. One guy, well, listen, is it better for you to be a personal priest or a whole tribe? We're all over the Bible. We're one of the 12. You can be a priest to the entire tribe of all of us. Which is better for you? It's a bigger platform. He, he doesn't inquire about caring for the people. He's what Jesus calls a hireling who doesn't care about the sheep, 
but it's just doing a job. That's this guy. Uh, and, and that's fine with Dan. They're not concerned about, well, he really should be of the house of Aaron uh, to be a full-blown priest. And by the way, we really need the tabernacle that God prescribed, which is over there in uh, Shiloh. And we really need a legit uh, ephod, not kind of this uh, quasi-ephod that they just, uh, you know, cooked up. They're not concerned with any of that. They don't care about this guy's they don't care about this guy's character. They don't care about his fittedness to serve. They don't care about the biblical guidelines for worship. The shrine and the priest, we're going into a new land to be our own tribe, outside of the holy land, outside to do our own thing. They are a good luck charm. Let's just take them and their shrine. Uh, let's create our own worship pathway. And uh, let's, let, let, let the shrine sort of sham continue into the new land with a whole tribe. This is what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. The drift is farther and farther and farther away. You see the drift of idolatry and apostasy. It started with someone ripping his mom off for 1,100 coins, and now we've got an entire tribe of Israel going off to, uh, to bl- uh, blaze their own trail and in, in, in coming up with their own worship. It, it's, it's really heartbreaking when you think about God's plan for Israel and not only that but God's plan for the nations to reach the nations through them let's look at what happens next this is what uh, happens with Micah in verses 21 through 26 verse 21 so they turned and departed putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you, that you come with such a company? In other words, why are you challenging us? And Micah said, You take my gods that I made, and the priest, and go away? And what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? The people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. It's a superficial faith that Micah has, because do-it-yourself religion has no depth, and it will not sustain the idolater. Micah realizes that his shrine and his priest are gone, and he grabs his neighbors and chases down the 600 Danite soldiers, and his cry in verse 24 is so important. This is so important in the whole story, really in the whole book of Judges and what we learn about idolatry. Verse 24, he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away, what have I left? I have nothing. It's all gone. This is the nature of idolatry. This is, this is the destiny of idolaters. Empty, gone, have nothing. I mean, the language here is, it's unbelievable. The gods that I have made... I mean, isn't that a contradiction? Biblically, biblically that's not even possible for someone who knows God to make a statement 
like that. The gods that I have made, that's a contradiction. If you made it, it's not God. Anything you make, you're greater. The creator is greater than the creation. So the gods you make cannot be Yahweh, the creator God, the redeemer God that freed you from the land of Egypt. This is a God that you made, which is no God at all. Any God who can be stolen can't be trusted. You you shouldn't put your hope in a God that someone can rip off out of your house. If your God needs a security system, you need a new God, okay? That's the problem here. Uh, this uh, This is crazy talk, is it not? Micah has built his hope on his own ideas. He has his own idols which were forbidden. You you weren't to make a carved image of God because it would be a limited image of God. You would be emphasizing some nature, uh, some attribute of God that you want, but ignoring so many others. So he has this customized sort of God of his own choosing. It's built on God of his own thoughts, his own preferences, his own likings, his own convenience. It's at his house. He doesn't have to go all the way to Shiloh to worship God. He, he, he ends up worshiping and following God, not as he is, but as he wants him to be. And here's the end result of idolatry always. It is the empty-handed cry, what have I left? I've lost everything. If you put your trust and base your faith on any substitute for the God of the Bible, you will end up empty-handed. If you trust in Jesus, on the other hand, you will never be empty-handed. You will never be left. You will never utter the cry, I have nothing left. And no one can take him away from you. When you believe in Jesus, you are united to him forever. And no one can steal that. No one can steal your greatest security. No one can steal the foundation of your life. No one can steal your meaning, your purpose. You'll never be left saying, I have nothing. Because if they took everything, you'd still have everything who is Jesus. So this is the message, this is how this contrast, if you're reading this early, if the early readers of this would be going, this is such a contrast with the work and story of Yahweh that we know from creation to fall, to calling of Abraham, to building a nation, to freeing them from slavery, to opening this promised land and bringing them into it. You would look at this and say, boy, they are so off course, they've drifted so far, but let Micah be a warning, I have nothing Let this wake us up from comfortable religion designed around our preferences, building our lives on substitute gods that do not last. This is what Jesus warns about when he says you can build your life in two ways. There are only two ways. In terms of your soul, it really is a binary. You are with God or you are not. You are in Christ or you are not. You are born again to faith with the Spirit of God dwelling in you, or you are not. You are in the light or you are in the dark. You are justified by Christ or you are condemned. And Jesus says there's two ways to build your life. You can take my words and bank everything on them, and you'll be building a house on rock, a stone, a solid foundation. Or you can build however you want 
on your way, not my way, your way, and you will build on sand. And when the storms come, you will be Micah whining before 600 Danites saying, I have nothing. You stole my God that I made with my hands. The foolishness of idolatry. May it be a warning to each of us today. And then the tragedy of Dan, we finish here, the tragedy of Dan, the tragedy of DIY Dan. Look how they end up. Verse 27, the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him and they came to Laish to a people quiet and unsuspecting and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. God never called them to do this. This was not part of the Holy Land. And there was no deliverer there because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. This is tragic. There's now a a tribe of Israel living outside the land, conducting false worship at a shrine that they created. Everything is wrong about the tribe of Dan. Here's the interesting thing. Most scholars say that the story that we just read of Dan happens at the beginning of Judges. So there's the beginning of Judges, And then there are uh, chapters 3 through 16 are the judges cycle that we went through each week with the last judge being Samson. And then we just get verse 17. It just starts off saying there was a man in the hill country. It doesn't purport at all to be chronological. It, It purports to say this is what life was like when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. So the reality is when Dan wasn't given their land at the beginning, at some point this is probably what they did. So really the book has come full circle. This is probably how Dan was in the beginning. They got their land, they compromised, and they worshipped that idol until Assyria captured them hundreds of years later. This was the story of Dan from the beginning. So this, from the beginning of the promised land. So this is, this is the soundtrack. Dan right here, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. This is the soundtrack for the background of the whole book. And we've come full circle. Because Dan starts off finding their own land, doing their own thing. We go through all of the judges. The last judge is Samson. And where is Samson from? Samson is from the tribe of Dan. So this gives you a window into Samson's upbringing, his life, The culture, this was the religious environment he grew up in. We were a little hard on Samson at points for some of the stuff he said and did and some of his own foolishness. He was just acting like the world he grew up in, his tribe, the tribe of Dan. What what does this passage say to us? I mean, it says a lot of things, but here's the bottom line I walk away from this with. I, I mean, who is running my life? That's the question. Who is running your life. Here's the fundamental Christian confession. Jesus is Lord. That confession is why the church is persecuted and people are dying in the first century because they won't say Caesar is Lord. They say Jesus is Lord. That means he is king. He has brought a kingdom and he as the king is gracious and kind to us, rules over us in his kingdom. And 
the fact that he is Lord means that he calls us to take up our cross and die daily. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He calls us to a life of serving him. It's a joyful life of serving him because he has done everything for us, has given his, given his life for us on the cross, has been raised to new life. Uh, he is a benevolent, loving, gracious, merciful, perfect king. But being part of the kingdom, it fundamentally means that you're submitted to the king. That you're not writing your own story. You're not coming up with your own script. You're not inventing your own religious practices. You're not cherry-picking certain verses about God that you like and sort of you know, not, not reading the ones that you don't like or that our culture doesn't embrace. So, so it's never just sort of a cafeteria plan where you pick a little of this, a little of that, and I'll pose. No, it's Jesus is Lord or he is not Lord. For Dan, Yahweh is not Lord. And so the question for us is, is Jesus, Lord, how does his lordship function in our lives? Who determines your worship? Who determines your beliefs? Who determines your theology? Is it determined by, by, the, by a world, by the culture, which is changing so rapidly around us, is it not? Or is it determined by God's word, which is spoken authoritatively? Who determines your decisions are you really submitted to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want you to determine the path because it's best. It may not be easiest, but it's always best. It always glorifies you. It always is for my good. Or am I concocting my own plan and with a veneer of, well, I got a Levite at my shrine, just sort of looking for somehow some convincing blessing that this is the word of the Lord for me. Am I asking him to bless my plans? What about corporate worship? How do I view my worship, my participation? All of these folks, Micah, the mom of Micah, Micah's son, the Levite, the spies, the whole tribe of Dan, they're all doing their own thing. They're all doing what is right in their eyes. Everyone is a religious freelancer. And that sounds a lot like our culture today. I'm spiritual, but I just don't like organized religion. Uh, I, I, you know, I love Jesus, I just hate his people. I, I love Jesus, I hate his bride. Now, there's a lot to dislike in his bride, and I'm part of that bride, so you can start with me. So there's plenty to dislike because we're fallen. But, but you, don't, you don't love a man and hate his wife. You don't love Jesus and serve Jesus, and, and I, man, I'm just going to do my own thing with Jesus. Problem is, Jesus, his whole mission today is building his church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So I'm going to be a part of being in his kingdom, serving him as king. I must not be a religious freelancer. I must follow him. We're never given the freedom to just worship God as we like to think about him in the Bible. God didn't say, here's a few thoughts about me. Now go away and write a creative essay or a poem about what you really think about me and, and live according to that. If he is not functionally Lord, all bets are off. Everybody can come up with their own thing. But if he is Lord, then we submit. It's, it's not just, you know, sort of here's my personal experience that guides and is authoritative in my life. His word is. It's not here's how I like to think about God. It's Jesus, how have you revealed yourself to me? Help me believe that truth, even if it's a hard truth. Help me to believe those things. A.W. Tozer, a pastor and an author in the middle of the last century, once said this. The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they were true. That's, that's a book of Judges. 
and that's our world. Imagine things about God and act as if they're true. We're all vulnerable to sort of molding and shaping Plato-like our own God, creating our own God, molding our own God. It's easy to judge Dan, but we all have a little Dan in us, if we're honest. We all have a little Dan. See, Dan hasn't, in, in their mind, their tribe of Dan, in their mind, they haven't abandoned God altogether. They've got an ephod. They've got, they're using the name of God. They've got a Levite. They've got some of the trappings. It's not like they said, we don't believe in God. We're full on board with the Baals. They're not atheists. Um, They've just reinterpreted God's law somehow to fit their desires, their opinions, their, 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 their convenience. And they probably think it's okay. They probably think they're okay with God. But the truth is God has defined who he is and how he will be worshiped. And he's, he's not fuzzy on those issues. There are some parts, uh, there are some, you know, ethical questions that come up in life that we have to wrestle with, and we're not sure how does the Bible exactly speak to that. But these kind of things, it's, it's not fuzzy, the stuff they're dealing with. It was clearly defined. They just didn't want to do it God's way. And that's the challenge for me and the challenge for you. To say Jesus is Lord, he is king, he rules, he is in control. It's really about control. Do I want to trust God with the control of my life or do I want to mold it and control it in the way I want? And when I find myself in opposition to his word, uh, where do I go? Do I trust, do I pray, do I ask for help? Well, the Bible says we should. The Bible says our daily prayer should be this, King Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a daily prayer. Jesus says you be praying that all the time. Why? Because I want my will to be done a lot of the time. So I need to be, Lord, give me a vision of you. Remind me of what you've done for me in Christ. Melt my heart with the love of God. Show me, Father, that you are good to your sons and daughters. Remind me of your faithfulness as we sang this morning so that I joyfully submit to your good will even when it grates against my preferences and my sinful desires. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You need to be asking, where am I getting my ideas about God? We live in a culture, and I'm so grateful to live in a, I'm so grateful to live in a culture of free speech and plenty of media opportunities, social media and other means uh, where people can broadcast their views. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have free speech, but with the proliferation of more and more talk and more and more talk, there's more and more noise around us. And we have to ask, where am I getting my ideas about God? From the culture or from God's word? They're borrowing from the Canaanites' ideas. I want to submit to you that we get our ideas about God from the study of Scripture and the application of Scripture in community. One of the reasons I think there's so much DIY religion right now is because everybody was out of touch with community Many Christians were out of touch with people for a year, year and a half, still are. And so when you live in isolation with just a Bible that maybe you read ever so often and a podcast that you listen to here and there that gets you fired up, uh, 
there's a lot of danger to just come up with my own ideas about God. Community, the local church, any local church that teaches God's word, are guardrails for us on a mountain road so that we don't drive off a cliff. I don't trust myself without community. I would drive off a cliff. Were it not for community, I might be leading, uh, might, might not be pastoring this church. I might be leading a cult. I don't know. If, if I didn't have someone around me that I could share, I could think, what do you think about this? I could back and forth. We could reason together in the word of God. You need community to walk in truth. They needed community. They were separating themselves from the biblical community to do their own thing. So there's a little ad for community groups which start today. <laughs> Maybe that's our new tagline. Join a community group so you don't drive off a cliff. You know, that's our <clears throat> It's the Holy Spirit will keep you from uh, falling off a cliff, but he'll use God's people. Last idea and we're done. I, idols just never deliver. The story of Micah, it just shows that idols never deliver. Do-it-yourself religion hired priest. They, everybody comes up empty in this story. I'm going to read you something, and this is how I'm closing. This is a, a couple paragraphs from Tim Keller writing about this section of the book of Judges. He's speaking about the section where Micah basically comes to them and says, you've taken all that I have. He says, in the end, self-made religion will disappoint. Whatever we make into our God, money, power, relationships, or even reduced man-made version of the biblical God, it will not deliver. The person who makes career their God will eventually find that their route to blessing is blocked by someone who's too strong, too able, too well-connected, too lucky for them. He's referring to how the Danites stopped Micah's plan. The person who makes their image their God will find time and enemy too strong for them to hang on to their youth and good looks. Ultimately, death removes all the false gods we look to for blessing. Micah was blessed in that he discovered the emptiness of his God before he died when it was not too late. It's a great reminder that everyone is a worshiper. The only question is who or what is the thing we look to for ultimate meaning and purpose and blessing? What is the thing about which, if it were taken away from us, we would say, you took my God, what else do I have? Where can I go in life now? I have nothing left. There's only one God who will never be taken away from us. He is the one of whom we can say with Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, John 6, 68. When we find Jesus, we find blessing, but we only truly experience his blessing when we say to him, Jesus, without you, what else do I have? You are my everything. We have to realize that there is nowhere else to go in life and that there is no need to go anywhere else in life. If we know Jesus is ultimately all we have, we discover that he is eternally all we need. When we realize he's all we have, we discover he is all we need. And that is true for all of us today. Let's pray. And as we do, let's return to him. If you've never trusted Christ as your everything, your savior, your rescuer, whatever you are trusting to hold you up and rescue you in time of need will not sustain. Turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And if you are a Christian today, it's time to turn afresh 
and ask God to sort out any do-it-yourself projects we may have looming in our hearts, do-it-yourself faith projects, and come back to the simplicity of Him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.